Wednesday night edition of the pod, and we've got a lot to talk about here, to be sure. And I think, of course, we're going to have to start with this crazy Sixers story. Read the entire article for sure uh, on The Ringer. Ben Dietrich, uh, amazing, amazing job with this story. But essentially, I don't even want to say allegation because they don't specifically take a position on whether, in fact, it was Brian Colangelo with these accounts or not. But Colangelo... There's evidence indicating that he operated five anonymous Twitter accounts. These Twitter accounts tweeted stuff that, if it were proven to be Colangelo, would certainly be grounds for firing. I think there'd be clearly no way that you could ever come back to that stuff about Joel Embiid, how they should just milk him because he's not the future of the franchise and it's Ben Simmons and all this inflammatory stuff about Shadil Okafor and his physical and Nerlens Noel being a cancer and, and just a an incredible amount of stuff here that there's just no way that if a GM were found to have made those public statements that they could hold on he could hold on to his job so I think probably the place to start here Danny is you know what is the evidence that indicating that this was in fact Colangelo and again I'd recommend that you guys listen to the podcast that Ben Dietrich did today on the Ringer NBA show that Derek Bodner and Rich Hoffman did a great job on the Sixers beat talking about this today too but just because you know this is a a national nba show nba show and we feel the need to kind of just bring you up to date here what is the evidence indicating that this is in fact brian colangelo well so there are a series of kind of interesting connections in the way that dietrich researched this story that make it a lot more compelling to me and so what happened is it really relates to these five twitter accounts and what happened was they kind of there were some some commonalities in terms of what they what certain accounts followed and people that had looking like they had connections to Colangelo and like it was an unusual cross section of things is a good way of putting it and so the the part the first thing that struck me as like oh this is really interesting was early on Dietrich but not early on I think it's on May twenty second he emailed the Sixers and brought up two of those accounts one of which ended up being the one that they eventually admitted Brian Colangelo does run. That account, to be specific, was did never tweeted at all, and so it, it was not involved in this behavior, but again, was a part of the process, and it followed a lot of things. Colangelo admitted to it. It was a way of monitoring whatever. That that, that part of it is there. But so what's really interesting is they mentioned he mentioned that account and the what's called the Eric Jr. account did not mention anything about the other three that they, were, that they suspected were involved in it, and yet... D- Later that same day, within hours of the call, all three of the accounts that had not been mentioned were moved from from being public to being private, which involves access to the tweets. And that, to me, is very interesting. That does not necessarily mean that it was Colangelo, but I think that means that it was somewhere within the sphere because I doubt from the ringer's stand, you know, from Dietrich's standpoint, that he spread the net anywhere beyond it. And so it was just whatever circle learned of that, of, of those two and had that connection. And that's the first thing that I'm like, huh, this is, this is, might be a bigger thing than I, than I originally thought it might be. And that is probably the most damning evidence that these were, if not Colangelo, someone very closely associated with either him or the team. I think the only way that that would not be the case is if a, and Colangelo has said basically someone is trying to set me up he has now actually texted that to Jordan Schultz which it doesn't seem like a great idea to me 
uh, that you would probably want to just have one coordinated response and voice here. Uh, I don't know why you would just send like one short text to a media member, just along something like that. But in any event, that apparently is Colangelo's position now that he's being set up. And But the only way that that would dovetail with this idea of those Twitter accounts being deactivated on the same day that the Sixers were told, because that just seems like too extreme of a coincidence, would be if perhaps Dietrich was in communication with this anonymous source who initially told him essentially like i think these that colangelo is running these accounts back in february if dietrich spilled the beans on his little trick which i thought was pretty smart actually uh of telling the sixers about it and monitoring the other three accounts and that whoever it was who's operating those accounts found out from dietrich's side rather than the sixers side that there had been information given to the Sixers and they're shut down. That seems unlikely to me. I don't. I think Dietrich would probably be smarter than it, to let the source know that he was doing that. Right. And then the other part that gets complicated with this is, and this I think is the most concerning element, not as much for me, the criticism of the players, though I don't love that, is the potential release of secret information through Well, and Twitter. that's what's so damning yes. about this too. I mean, that's probably the second exactly. most damning piece of evidence other than the one we just talked about the accounts being shut down is the fact that there was this apparent level of knowledge uh, that and you know guys like bodner have said hey you know we're around the team we didn't report a lot of this stuff but uh we'd had other information indicating it was true like that level of knowledge is another thing that would would indicate that if it's not colangelo it's certainly someone around the team who knows this stuff right and so there there is certainly a subsection of people that would have the requisite information but it's hard to see somebody who who can check all of the boxes you know maybe maybe and this is just speculation but you know like maybe a family member depending on what kind of relationship they have there i mean that's you know sometimes people talk about their work in that sort of a circumstance maybe but it's it's a small circle to be sure and it's it's concerning and then the other big part of this that i think is worth you know kind of getting at in the early section here is the element of trust and i just was thinking about this because i was writing the and just published the okc offseason preview for the athletic and what i wrote about in that was in relation to paul george it doesn't necessarily matter what the reality of OKC's season was, whether, you know, Robertson being out really sabotaged their season. And if he had been there the whole year, they would have been a championship contender because at a specific juncture, all that is relevant is what the parties involved feel. And that's where this gets really complicated because, yeah, theoretically, there could be some sort of mass exoneration. It could be you could some, something that shows, okay, maybe this account was Colangelo, but then the other ones were not, and he was trying to be set up, something like that. But not only for Joel Embiid, Markel Fultz, those players, but also the Sixers have max cap space. They have all these things going on. And so even if it ends up being unfair, we're a month away from free agency. That perception could really matter. Oh yeah, and I, I want to talk a little bit more about that too. I mean, if we kind of after we kind of wrap up the idea of like whether it actually is him, him or not. Um, so let me ask you this: What are the most plausible explanation explanations for this? Let's rank them. One, you know, give us our top three most plausible explanation for this story. Number one for me is that it's him. Would that be your number one? My number one would be that maybe not all of them are him, but that they're people closely enough affiliated where it's functionally you know not that different like it could be a family member something like that i would have that as number one and then all all being him number two 
Okay, so the family member thing, what about the fact that you know these accounts are following all these people who are specific to him? So you're saying that if it's a family member, that family member decided to mirror who Colangelo's account oh, that's a good point. was following and that, you know, would Brian even say, oh yeah, by the way, uh, you know, the Phila one through seven account that I use, that's actually me. So maybe you would say that's me. You know, I followed you with that, you know, I, my son or whatever, I followed you for University of Chicago basketball, though there's indications that it wouldn't be his son because some of the tweets were sent when he was actually playing in games. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it doesn't really, if it's just some family member, it doesn't make sense that they would be following all of these exact same accounts. That that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, well, I, maybe that was just my interpretation. I didn't know that all three, like it's it's those three accounts, I think, primarily. that I didn't realize, maybe that was just my misinterpretation, that all three of them basically follow uh, yeah, the same I, people. Yeah, I'm I not sure that it is like, all the same. I mean, the implication was that there were, of the story, is that there was significant overlap with a lot of these uh and, and then also yeah. not only yeah and then the the recovery number and all yeah that yeah and, and also with the uh you know the verbiage that was used is very similar across all the accounts as well um so i i, I to me i i think it's more likely than not that it was him um i don't know that to be true i can't prove that but so number two would have to be someone close to him family member or maybe someone else in the sixers organization and then number three is you know that this was some kind of intentional long con setup that you know let's keep in mind these accounts were tweeting back from like 2016 so like this would be like a two-year con job uh and then that that person got in touch with ben dietrich in, in february and set up I, I i do the identity of this source you know i'm not sure that this like oh you know i was just in an ai and i you know care about the sixers and just happen to notice this like you know that that does seem a little fishy you know that's probably the the fishiest thing that you could point to to make it say okay maybe it is a setup uh because it's uh not necessarily something that holds water like oh yeah you know i just decided to do this analysis and it just turns out that uh, uh this person seems like it would be colangelo and like uh, that's how the anonymous source got to that point if the anonymous anonymous source weren't somehow involved and close to the situation you know that that strikes me as a little bit less likely but uh so uh, and believe me i'm not saying like oh yeah it's obviously him you know they should fire him uh, well i think they probably should fire him we'll get to that part too but uh regardless of whether it was him or not it frankly because deserving got nothing to do with it but you know i'm not saying that it's like impossible that it's not him you know i think but i, I do think that is the most likely explanation at this point is are there any other possibilities for how this could have come about that we haven't talked about in those three kind of general scenarios not that i can really think about i mean i guess maybe it could be a column of like it could be partially some and partially another but that seems weird given the you know saying the word and all of and two of the other three getting taken down like that makes me think that it's more it's more within one net rather than being like a, a mix of column a and column b let's say the other thing too is i have to admit and, and other people have talked to a lot more people around the league than I have about this. have kind of said the same thing. It's like, this story is certainly surprising, but it's not that surprising. Like if you had to, if you had to say, all right, this story happened, pick an NBA GM who is, who did this. Brian Clangel would be at the top, if not at the absolute top of this list. He definitely is known for having rabbit ears. That is even more pronounced now that he's in Philadelphia and he's succeeding Sam Hinkie, who is a darling of at least a, a subset of, the fans and media that covered the team and just you know their general 
ineptitude from a PR standpoint. And the the way that that PR has both been completely ineffective at times and also indicative of a desperation to try to control the message at the same time as being ineffective, you know, that very much dovetails with, with this. And for all those who say, all right, it can't be him. You know, this would just, it would just be too stupid. It's too crazy. I'm not going to go with the, oh, it's 2018. Look at all the crazy shit like this. Nothing is too crazy for 2018. I think that's just, you know, that's a little bit too nonspecific for my taste. But certainly we have seen that a characteristic of the social media era is a desire to defend oneself and just to get all of this criticism and have a way to respond even if you know intellectually all right this probably isn't going to change things that much but just to like there is a feeling that people have it i mean and, and i have experienced this many a time when i get criticized on social media and there are times i wish i could have done a better job of just not responding but there is a very human desire when you believe that people are misunderstanding things or the narrative is going against you to want to respond. And, you know, whether this, whether this Twitter account with 25 followers or whatever, tweeting at media people, whether he rationally thought that that would actually have any difference. If you say, Hey, ask Julio Okafor, whether he failed this physical on the trade or not, whether he thought that was actually going to make a Sixers reporter do that, or whether it was just cathartic to be able to do that. I don't know, but there certainly is a feeling and that we've seen borne out with a lot of public figures of wanting to respond to these sort of of allegations uh, or i shouldn't say allegations but just uh, narratives that go against them publicly along those same lines for in the modern era of social media this must be a very hard time for those who had rabbit ears even before this because there are just so many voices out there and one of the challenges, I mean, you and I are much less public figures than an NBA general manager that you have to deal with is that there are there are people who dislike you. There are people who dislike your work, and it is much easier for them to get a platform that could even theoretically reach you than, than was possible before. They don't have to take the time to email you or, you know, anything like that. It can be, you know, just saying something on Twitter. It, it can be something very easy like that. And so if you are attuned to that and that matters to you, it, it's very easy for that noise to feel loud. And then you remember what Sixers Twitter is like and the feeling of support for Hinky. And so, and, and in my opinion, justifiably so, because I think Hinky did a very good job. We've talked about that a lot on the show. So I can see how someone would not only perceive that that genuine frustration as being being large, but also want to do feel feel like they owe it to themselves or just that they should stem the tide if they can. And I, I do, I am sympathetic for it. I do not engage with, with those trolls. I, I understand that they exist and all that, but for my own purposes, but I understand that that is very unusual and it took, it takes self-control and restraint for me to do that. It's not what I want to do. It's what I think is best overall. And this isn't an unprecedented story either. Kevin Arnovitz related a story on the low post today about how there was a Clippers staffer who clearly was a commenter on Clipper blog, and then uh, oh, there's the Warriors one uh, too. Yes, is that public? I forget. I believe yeah. so. But 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 anyway, it, it's uh, there are certainly at least two incidents that I know of of NBA staffers using anonymous accounts back in more the internet message board days to try to influence things a little bit and it's just you know again like uh, there's no point to it like you're not going to change the way people think uh, about it necessarily 
All right, let's do a read. We got more to, to talk about uh, on this, though. Right after this, from Sonos, I've really been enjoying a number of aspects of my Sonos. One is just the voice control, especially when you're in a situation socially where you don't want to just like be buried in your phone and try to put up a playlist or something. You can just do quickly voice control, play an artist, connect your Spotify to it. And now you've got some great background music for your, your social gathering. The other thing I've just been so impressed by with them is the incredible sound quality. I think a, a big part of why that is, is that actually when they come up and set it up with your up and running service, they actually take an iPhone around the room. The Sonos will emit a series of pulses. The iPhone listens to those pulses and how it sounds in various parts of the room. And then the Sonos can actually optimize the sound to your specific room. We have a kind of an acoustically difficult house and a lot of the rooms are different. You can really tell the difference before and after they did that treatment. We've been watching uh, a lot of Star Trek The Next Generation at home. They, uh, that opening theme song sounds amazing uh, on the, the Sonos setup. And while they are really easy to set up, this up-and-running service that they have will do it for free if you live in any major metropolitan area. They will have a trained expert deliver and set up your system absolutely free. If you go to Sonos.com, all you have to do is select up-and-running at checkout if you qualify. Right now, Sonos is offering our listeners 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any product on Sonos.com. This offer is available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. Got to make sure to let you know that. But the promo code here is going to be a little bit different than the usual code. It's DUNK10, D-U-N-C-10, D-U-N-C-1-0 at Sonos.com. Enter that DUNK10 code to receive that offer of 10% off one order of $2,500 or less at Sonos.com. Let, them, let us know. Let them know, actually with and let us know if you like the product actually i always appreciate those tweets if you buy something in it and you like it a lot of times we'll use those in the next ad but use that promo code dunk 10 to let them know that you came from us so here's my next question what would it take to prove to you that brian colangelo was not somehow culpable whether it was through him or, or a family member or someone close to him on the sixers staff what would it take to convince you that there's no culpability here. I think it would take a direct thread, like a direct proven thread to something else. Like, for example, if the recovery email on that account, like on one of the accounts that actually tweeted, was to something that that we knew he didn't control, ideally if we knew who did it, like that sort of a thing. It, yeah. and, well, but, and but how are you going to prove that, the... unless someone admits to it, how are you going to prove that he didn't control that? Well, I mean, that, that's what it would be if it was, you know, whatever that you email could be. Maybe other people have dealt with that account. You know, there there are it would be very yeah. hard to do. Theoretically, I guess there is. A, I mean, the easiest way for me to believe that somebody else did it is if somebody else admits to it. But yeah. I, I, you know, I don't necessarily expect that, especially if this was a long con. I would guess that that person would do theoretically would do enough to cover their tracks for long enough to make this like just kind of stay around you know that's the person who would probably be more diligent about it rather than you know somebody who kind of got caught in this yeah i I mean i think it's gonna be difficult to get definitive proof that it was him but i think there's also very difficult to get definitive proof that it wasn't him so i mean what could he do maybe he could say all right here's every device that i have used laptop phone ipad whatever over the last three years, I'm going to hand this over to some sort of forensic investigator 
and that person is going to go through all these devices and conclude that I never logged into any of these Twitter accounts or never did any of these tweets. Now, that's an indication that it wasn't him, but there's still, you know, maybe there was some other phone involved. Maybe you went to Maxi Marty and got a burner phone or something. Like, you know, there's still, that's not definitive proof. It, it might help you a little bit. Uh, maybe the, if there were some sort of like situation where he had to be under oath and, and, testify about this under penalty of perjury i'm not even sure what that could be you know that's another thing you know people lie under oath all the time of course but that at least could be someone helpful someone else coming forward or and saying yes this was me you know that that might do it uh if that were in fact convincing and that person had some sort of proof that it, it was actually him maybe that could get you there but you know anything else that they could do to prove that it wasn't him not that i can think of and just in the ways that people can cover their tracks on the internet. I'm, I'm guessing forensic people can do a better job of it. And also there's the question of what information of that can be made public. Like, for example, you know, like I, I know that they can log information in terms of where an account, you know, G, you know, like the, the IP addresses and all that. But I don't know that Twitter would make that information available to any private party that is n- trying to prove that it's not them. Like that, yeah. you, you would go down a real slippery slope if that's what you're trying to do. If you're trying to prove that it is you, yeah, maybe in a specific circumstance that could actually work. But I mean, yeah. that that would bring about a bunch of dangerous. As, stuff. as I understand it, the only ones who are going to, at least in any kind of near term, who would have access to the account information there are, are the account owners. And you know, maybe if some sort of legal proceeding were initiated and there were a subpoena to Twitter there'd be a way to get that user information i'm sure that would be a big battle twitter is probably not very interested in setting a precedent where you can get that information from them Uh, but now let's just get to the realities of the situation i mean this is all forensic investigators and reports and the sixers are doing an investigation and all that that's all well and good they got a draft coming up they got the biggest free agent summer probably uh, in the team's history coming up here so whatever conclusions are going to be found here whatever investigation is being done I highly doubt a that that investigation could be completed before you know in less than a month, month and a half here. Number two, that any such investigation could reach a definitive conclusion as of that point. And so, given all that, if you were Sixers owner Josh Harris, what would you do right now? What would your reaction to this be right now? Well, I would definitely want to talk with the players that are still on the team that could be affected by this. And I will note that my interpretation of the the Jaleel Okafor workhorse one was actually that it was sarcastic, but I'm not entirely Jaleel sure. Okafor and there are a lot of other, one? you know, sorry, sorry, the, 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 the Joel Embiid one. Oh, oh when he's like, like yeah, oh, we can, we'll, we'll let's work. just run him into the ground because he's not, he's going to be a part yeah. of the team's for, future. For, uh, an- another reason why it's bad to, to use sarcasm on in text-based form unless it's so obvious or somebody knows your knows your context anyway let's get get back to it so i would talk to those types of players because that their opinion is important here well and, 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 what and they, joel already tweeted they, if this is true it's really bad you know and, and i think i think he right. kind of reading between the lines i'm just guessing here that that initial tweet which was absolutely hilarious by the way in which he said uh mm-hmm. sam hinky is smarter than you and he used the the he, he added the burner account uh, with that but then he he had a statement to Woj. I'm sure someone got to him and said like, "All right, Joel, you got to just like stop going off here and be a little more measured." So he talked to Woj and was like, "Yeah, you know what? Like, I'll got to take him at his word that it's not true for now. But if it is true, that it'd be bad." But I mean, it, number one, the players that's a, a major issue. But you know, just number two, uh, uh, having to being able to deal with other teams is huge. 
the free agent aspect of course too i mean that's that's probably even the biggest part of this so just you know lebron james are you going to try and trade for Kawhi Leonard? you're trying to get paul george or you know whatever they're going to do with that 27 to maybe even more million in cap space also just whether even you're willing to have someone who's clearly this unhinged continue to be involved in your your organization whether you whether it's true or not but ultimately i think what i would do is treat it similar to like the danny ferry situation after he made those racially inflammatory comments about luol deng all right we're going to put you on administrative leave until this investigation is complete and probably you're just going to have to go off into the sunset here because let's just put it from this perspective right even if this is totally untrue this is always going to be a massive stain on colangelo's career there's always going to be a lot of questions about it i as we said i'm not sure what proof you could eventually come up with especially if it hasn't become if it hasn't come forward by now right like they've known about this for over a week now and they haven't come up with a an explanation such as you know it was a family member or something like that right it's just colangelo doesn't know what's going on no one's with the sixers seems to know what's going on if they don't know now the only way they're going to find out is through some sort of really long lengthy investigation and then maybe they're never going to find out so with all that being the case i think you got to get him out of the picture as soon as possible here because just the downside of leaving him in you know don't fire him because you, you know you don't know whether this is true or not but the downside of leaving him in there now is just so much greater than the upside i mean it is brian colangelo is just such a genius that having him instead of someone else running things is like going to be so much value added that it outweighs the negatives i, I don't think so well and we haven't talked enough about the other just massive complication here which is that his father is is an important part of this organization as well and to me the decision on what to do with brian colangelo is a josh harris decision even if, and, and I mean, especially considering his dad and everything like that, but that makes all this more complicated. And, and what role does the family connection play in all this? It's it's just Jerry's, Jerry's part is going to be fascinating here too. Yeah, Jerry is a special advisor to the managing partner. <laughs> As of now, as I yeah. listed on the Sixers masthead. Um, potential temporary replacements, there are not really anyone who is experienced at the gm type of mark eversley was just relatively he's really number two on their mass head he's relatively recently elevated he, he's more of a scouting guy ned cohen is kind of more of a cap administrative guy than as much of a basketball guy a lot of people obviously left when hinky left they've got alex rucker who is their director of analytics and oversees this enormous you know three million dollar per season analytics operation that was uh given a hagiography in the philly papers a couple months ago but you know i'm not sure that there's anyone that pops out as like all right this guy is like clear gm material but you know i still would rather have mark eversley making the decisions maybe you can kind of bring in an experienced hand as a consultant really quickly but i, I just i don't see how you can continue to leave colangelo in there i think you just you have to put him on administrative leave now pending the results of this because it's just it's not going to get any better and it's just such a, a distraction too having around having to deal with all this stuff instead of actually doing your jobs you know i'm i'm usually not one to talk about distractions 
but when it gets to the heart of the relationships and that are involved in the trustworthiness of the individual involved and people having to deal with him and there has to be a lot of trust to get any kind of an nba transaction done whether it's a free agent transaction a trade a draft pick i just i don't see how you can have him running things for the next month or two and the downside of that is so much greater than the downside of just you know taking him out of things for a month or two and and you know what he can continue to just kind of you know as long as he's not the one making the calls maybe he can still kind of be around and have some conversations with the guys or 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 whatever and hey what do you think of this and he had a hand in in he had a hand in picking everybody else on the staff. So right. you can, you know, it's kind of like when a, when a coach has to take a leave of absence, yeah. there, you still see their impact on the process, even if they're not making those those kind of minutiae decisions. Oh, so just just for my own amusement and because I saw it, I saw it on Twitter and I'm just like, oh, God, that would be so perfect is I don't think David Griffin would be interested in that kind of consultant role. But considering who the free one of the free agents is and the acrimony with which LeBron responded to David Griffin's ouster, that would be pretty amazing. I also think that if Colangelo has to be fired, Griffin's professionalism and relationships around the league would actually yeah. be make it, him a very natural. He's replacement. also pretty experienced at dealing with like completely ridiculous PR crises. Mm-hmm. And 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 as you said, I mean, I think the biggest part of this that everybody needs to get a sense of is the timing. The timing here is just absolutely brutal. Draft is in a couple weeks, free agency is in a month, but the the research that goes into that, the conversations with agents, that it didn't just start now, it started months ago. And everything that happens from here is is incredibly challenging and the stakes are insanely high. So that's why this matters so much. That's why we spent more than a half hour on this is because it's important yeah and again yeah. oh and also and, and all and also the six the sisters extended extended brett brown another three years <laughs> yeah it was posited that that was like something to try to distract from this ah no i don't think it did <laughs> so and, and uh, my prediction for what happens here is that it will be a danny ferry administrative leave type of thing i don't know about them bringing in another more experienced guy as a consultant necessarily but i think it, it just it has to and this way especially as we go further and further and there's no clearly exculpatory evidence and and just in the difficulty of finding that exculpatory evidence uh, as well i mean really the only way that he could even get his job kind of back would be if it is somehow proven that this was just this long con like two years long thing that that someone was trying uh even if it's someone close to him i think there's just no way to uh to get past it especially because you know that that now if it were someone close to him you would think that that would have come out already by now but it for whatever reason it hasn't uh is that your prediction as well or do you think it ends up differently than the way i do i think that's where it ends up but i i'm not sure that it goes there right away i i think that could end up being this if it takes another week or so for that to happen okay yeah yeah i then... i think that, that would be a reasonable time frame I, any longer than that though i i would be surprised. if it's yeah. two weeks then it's yeah i mean as we get close to the draft and remember the sixers have the 10 pick this isn't a year where just because they were so good they're only picking in the 20s no they have the number 10 pick in the draft this matters man how hilarious would it be if like those accounts like started tweeting again that would be <laughs> that'd be pretty funny uh yeah, I, I mean, the, the utter hilarity of this situation is pretty good. Although, you know, I, I will say that while Colangelo's is not my favorite and the circumstances in which he got the job is not my favorite, if this were, for some reason, a a setup, I would feel extremely bad for him. Um, but, yeah, uh, and I do think it, the hilarity of, oh, wow, Sam Hinkie is embarrassing the organization. We got to get rid of him. Oh, uh, well, 
you know, I think they might wish to have Sam Hinkie back right about now. Um, all right, should we talk a little Boston Celtics uh, offseason here? Well, I'll give you the choice. Do you want to do a little bit of news? Because we have. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. That's, that's a good idea. Then we could do a read before Celtics. Yeah. So I would say the biggest piece of news outside of that is Orlando hired a head coach. They hired Steve Clifford. It is reported by Woj as a four-year deal, which is what you would expect in the circumstance. We don't really have many any more nuance than that. And Clifford, it's notable, has connections to both the Orlando Magic as a franchise because he was an assistant under Stan Van Gundy and to the front office because he interviewed for the Bucks job when he ended up taking the Hornets job. So there was some familiarity because the Bucks personnel, you know, they're the, the Bucks front office people then are the Magic front office people now. And you and I talked about it when Clifford was, was fired in Charlotte that we hoped he would get another job. I think he's a, he's a good coach. And we would get clarification in terms of what parts of Steve Clifford's MO as we know it, you know, low turnovers, traditional centers, what parts of that are just inexorably part of Steve Clifford as a head coach and which parts are not because the Orlando Magic have a lot of uncertain pieces, particularly in the front court. Yeah, I'd be interested to see if he can get some more out of Nikola Vucevic and particularly defensively. And this is a guy who, granted, in a different league, but actually crafted decent enough defenses around Al Jefferson, so really similarly offensively tilted big man with slow feet. So yeah, well, I, I want to see if he can be successful. He's probably the best experienced coach on the market. There had been talk, I think it was from Mark Stein, that Kelvin Sampson was featured prominently in the process. But this seems like kind of a good compromise because of his Orlando connections. We know certainly that ownership, that CEO Alex Martins have been very active in coaching searches before in particular with scott skiles and but then also as you mentioned there are a few connections to milwaukee so that four-year deal relatively typical you know it's probably uh a th- a four minus one meaning that there's a team option on the end that's kind of just what these coaches are unless it's just a real premium candidate which uh clifford is not so that leaves us with who it leaves us with detroit still open detroit and toronto right. and there's uh in detroit this weird situation where they brought in Ed Stefanski. I'm not sure what it was about Ed Stefanski's resume that made them think that he should be some consultant. And now Stefanski is bringing in who? Bernie Bickerstaff and Jim Lynham to, you know, not exactly the cutting edge of NBA coaches and executives necessarily. You know, these are guys who were cut their teeth in the 90s and have not really been, you know, I think Bickerstaff has been a scout recently line him i want to say has been doing like philly tv so that this is going to be all three of these guys now are consulting on who the new coach is going to be and they're going to the first reported interview that they're going to have is kenny smith so uh that doesn't bode too well so far we'll see uh, maybe they'll try a little better but certainly smith's tv persona while he's certainly a, the adult in the room from a strategic standpoint compared to barkley and Shaq on that show i, I still have not been particularly impressed with his strategic chops so uh be interesting to see where that ends up well and and remember that the detroit coaching job is a very challenging one tactically because they have so much tied up in their two big men in blake griffin and and andre drummond griffin has been a better jump shooter recently and those guys both want the ball a lot but then you have a point guard like that that's a hard job and they have some time pressure because of the money they have tied up and everybody else. So I think you want to get somebody that hits the ground running rather than somebody who has never been a head coach at any level. Though head coaches from any level, jumping from TV, have had a mixed success rate oftentimes with the Golden State Warriors because they did it twice with their most two most recent jobs. What else we got here? 
this happened a little while back, but Doc Rivers got an extension. We don't have the exact terms of that, but but I think that is a small piece of information that would lead some to believe that the Clippers will not go through a full teardown in the immediate. There were other reasons for that. I mean, they still have Danilo Gallinari under contract. I just think Doc Rivers wouldn't sign up for that because he could he could be interested in a lot of other Yeah, jobs. I'm not sure if he had and, any other options, though, at this point, though. That would have been better, even if they Maybe. are going to do a little bit of a rebuild potentially. But I, but I think more that they're trying for the 2019 cap space. You know, maybe they right. take and, it. And I, and I think that would be yeah. smart for them if they do that. Uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll see with that. And you can't really read too much into it. The one that surprised me, and it might just be that I missed something. Andre Robertson underwent a knee scope on Tuesday, May 29th, so a couple days ago. And it was elective to proactively relieve synovitis. And they expect that he'll be back uh, you know, he's on pace to be back for the beginning of the season. But, you know, after the other issue that he went through, I, I was a little bit surprised that this kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, it sounds like he had been developing some swelling in the course of his rehab from that torn patellar tendon. And the party line is, well, better to have this surgery now so that if it doesn't resolve, I mean, and, and swelling is so difficult, right? Like you don't, sometimes you, you can just build up and then your knee is strong enough and it won't swell anymore. But I guess the thinking was, hey, it's going to be rehabbing still anyway. Better to just have this surgery now, continue the rehab, try to be ready for training camp as opposed to now you're maybe this will go away, but it's going to complicate your rehab. And then if it doesn't go away, now you got to have the surgery again at the start of training camp. So this, I think a lot of this has to do with the timing, but not a great sign, especially and torn patellar tendon, not quite the death knell that Achilles are, but you know, you're I think you probably would rather have a torn ACL than a torn patellar tendon uh, at this point. Uh, James Johnson in Miami, he's had hernia surgery shortly after they were eliminated from the playoffs. So presumably he was playing with that throughout some portion of the end of the year. And then, but you know, that's a six to eight week type of surgery. So it shouldn't affect his availability for next year. And PJ Tucker, it was revealed today with their Rockets exit interviews that they, he played game seven after getting three root canals, uh, it didn't even tell his, his teammates about it. And then also, Tillman Fertitta, we speculated about you know his willingness to pay the tax, but I think Maury and Fertitta both spoke today, and there seemed to be an indication that they are willing to break the bank to try and keep this team together. So that's certainly a good sign for Houston fans, at least in the short term. Since we just talked about it and we're actually recording this right now, a little add addition to the Detroit Pistons coaching search. Woj is reporting that Miami Heat assistant and deep Michigan connection haver Juwan Howard is going to interview for the job as well. Yeah. Oh, I like him better than Kenny Smith. Uh, all right, one more quick read here, and then we'll talk Boston Celtics offseason. And that read is for a service that you, Danny, have used quite a bit, stamps.com. Yeah, I mean, it's different for our our business. We do so much through the internet. You know, it's 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 nice. It, it definitely changes our, changes our cost structure and everything else like that. But when you write a book... A book is hard copy, and sure you can. It is available in in Kindle form and ebook form as well. You can you can buy it that way too if you want. But a lot of my friends and family wanted hard copies, and of course I went through you know and signed and all of that. A lot a lot of different copies of the book, and those all got sent to me by the publisher because that's the way this works. And so that meant I had to send them out myself. And Stamps.com was a great solution to a problem I had never really had to deal with before of how to get a bunch of things out that was both convenient with my schedule, cost effective, and 
it really delivered. I was I, I've been incredibly impressed with really every phase of of the process from scheduling pickups to getting a scale to weigh the packages and getting it out inexpensively. Yeah, they bring all of the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips. They'll even send you a digital scale so you can calculate exact postage. They'll help you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. You don't have to lease an expensive postage meter and there's no long-term commitments at all. Right now, you too can enjoy the stamps.com service with a special offer, including a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale. Go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in that familiar cap space code. Easy to remember, we talk about cap space all the time we're around, especially this time of year as we're doing these off-season previews. That's stamps.com, enter the code cap space and let them know that you came from us. All right, let's talk about Boston here. By We can start with a general idea of their financial picture. Only one major free agent, at least this season, and that is Marcus Smart, who is a restricted free agent. And if they were to bring him back for, say, $13 million, that would put them for next year right about at the tax. So it's difficult to imagine. Maybe if they don't bring back Smart, they could use their full mid-level exception. But I think they probably would want to bring back Smart. And they could even potentially dodge the tax, which... I think they probably would be keen to do just because they're going to be likely a tax team for a long time going forward after this year. But maybe they might feel like, oh, we need to add some more players and we're not going to dodge the tax. It would be tough to do it because other than Smart, I mean, there's really nobody on this team. You know, maybe Gershon Yavisele is someone that they could just figure out a way to dump. Uh, but other than that, they kind of have this roster set and they need all these guys. Yeah, the Celtics, I've written about their lack of filler before and it, yeah. it's a limitation in terms of some of the big trades that they could do. You know, maybe you can make the math work on certain things depending on which young guys they want to include. But it is a real challenge and those same things are in place in terms of shedding money for the luxury tax that the guys they want have are the guys they want and a lot of those players are at reasonable contracts. So it is a, a, a real challenge there. And another one that I find particularly compelling you brought up marcus martin we'll talk about him a little bit too is aaron baines so aaron baines oh yeah that's right i did forget about him as, a, as another free agent sorry yeah so he so he is available they had him but he'll he's unrestricted and they only have non-bird rights and so that means that his hold is also the maximum he can make while using that exception which is five point about 5.2 million What's also interesting about that is 5.2 million is almost exactly the same as the amount of the taxpayer mid-level exception. So it's 5.3. So if he's not willing to take that for them, whatever duration, I mean, I don't know if they'd, if he'd want one year, if they'd want one year, whatever that would be. If he wants more than that, either Boston dips in, they use basically the, ta- the non-taxpayer mid-level exception, which hard caps them and everything else, like the Rockets did with PJ Tucker, or they just have to let him go. And they can you know there there are other centers on the market but i thought baines did a wonderful job for them this year and there will be a ton of supply but i'm not sure there will be anybody who fits it as well as baines did yeah certainly uh, baines especially with this burgeoning three-point range he's shown how real that is it remains to be seen but that makes him a lot more playable on offense and then defensively somehow he morphed into one of the better defensive centers in the game like his ability to move his feet in the playoffs was really quite a revelation for me despite not being able to really jump he's got that big chest he's got good help instincts and yeah he gets dunked on all the time but he also that's because he he's in there protecting the rim and he also was a panacea for their defensive rebounding problems uh now he can't finish anything around the rim but i think certainly he's a guy who they would want to bring back how many years it would be you know because uh, baines is 
going to be 31 he, he came to the nba pretty late after spending a couple years overseas what would your offer be to baines if you were the celtics you know, offer more than one year i mean i, I think it's a no-brainer to offer him you know just the 120 percent, which would be about 5.2 million 120 percent of what he made mm-hmm. last year yeah i would do that and if he wanted to maybe do the kind of milos teodosic style give him a player option or some sort of thing for the next year but maybe not fully guarantee it maybe two million or so of that i think that would be totally fair and probably be enough to get him to stay yeah we'll see i'm not sure who else would be in the market for his services and he would get some pretty good playing time they they have to get another center they also got greg monroe who you know didn't really seem to work out especially as a guy in the playoffs you basically would be bringing him back for essentially the regular season to just soak up some minutes and i think monroe would probably be better off going elsewhere they could pay monroe actually up to six million as well with his non-bird rights because remember he got five million out of that disabled player exception which was uh ended up not being a great investment i thought he was a disappointment there but you know maybe i would offer baines a one plus one at that type of money uh it also it, a lot of it depends too on just how intent they are on dodging the tax because in 2019 Kyrie Irving if he's going to be brought back he's going to get about a 10 million dollar raise and now there's just you have no way of avoiding the tax Horford will be making 30 million that year in the last year of a player option which he might actually you could see maybe it'd be possible he opts out of that and they kind of go you know Pau Gasol style of like Mm -hmm. give him a longer deal for less annual value you know maybe you could see that happening but that's you know we'll see how he plays next year and then Gordon Harrod will be making 33 million um and also i think another advantage of bringing back baines would be having some of that salary fodder that you talked about for potential trades although you know there really doesn't seem to be anything in the works this offseason the way we might have thought there would be and that would be an option for giving him more than one year because if you give him one year then he would have a veto uh yeah that's a a a good point too um and and, and, miritich problem or, or maybe it could be something you know you mentioned the partial guarantee so maybe it could be you know, second year partially guaranteed for like two million or something like that. Um, sure, but let's talk about the trade possibilities. I think you, you got into that, and the challenge I've nearly written on this about ten times. The challenge of figuring out any sort of superstar trade is the issue of supply, because teams that have you know the next James Harden trade has to involve a team like Oklahoma City that is willing to trade their James Harden, and it doesn't look like. New Orleans is particularly keen on moving Anthony Davis, at least this summer. I Kawhi Leonard, you know, that's a conversation we will have in the near future. That would be possible. But remember that if the Celtics were to were to be interested in Kawhi, they would certainly have the assets. They would have a great pool of assets, depending on what they're willing to offer. But I don't think any deal there would happen without some sort of indication from Leonard that he would be willing or even, you know, as committal as it can be allowed under the rules to a contract because otherwise you're not going to pay that for a rental they already didn't do that for paul george and Kawhi is they're at a much different place now and the players that will be included in the deal are much more established yeah and i also think they just they kind of want to see what they got with this team now if they can bring back everyone and certainly the idea of trading gordon hayward i don't think you would have to be in in that deal you know they could probably if they put in one of braun or tatum in that deal you know that's probably the only way it happens maybe if if it's known that leonard wants out that his value just goes down so much that maybe you could do it with like that memphis pick that they have and obviously they have that king's pick that they could trade also um so they have just i mean it's preposterous how much ammunition they have still but you know if you're gonna rank their assets it's either brown or tatum one and two king's pick 
and then Memphis pick probably are, are you know their four premium assets going forward. And I think they would want to avoid giving up either Braun or Tatum in that deal. And a nice job not getting into the who's better, Brown or Tatum, because you know we haven't dealt with that enough this year. <laughs> and I still don't really know the answer to that either. Um, yeah, and it's also our opinion on it is is often different than a GM. And remember, that's the beauty of in the eye of the beholder here is that you know maybe maybe theoretically San Antonio has a strong preference there. Maybe Boston does. Who knows? Uh, that's that's a part of this. But so yeah, I I think it's a possibility because if Kawhi gets on the market, the Spurs would probably want to move him right away because the the value just diminishes so quick if he's a potential rental you know if you get any of the season there are the injury risk things so it's possible they just don't get good offers and they hold on to him for that purpose and but outside of Kawhi, you know there have been these murmurs about carl anthony towns i don't i mean of course if there you could make an argument like if he were on the market the celtics have a bunch of assets he would be an intriguing fit with their team then they wouldn't have to deal with all the financial the financial stuff in terms of the near term so yeah sure if if that comes to pass it comes to pass but outside of those guys i just don't i don't see that many game changers that are going to be out there let's turn now to smart's restricted free agency he had a comment in the media that he feels like he's worth more than 12 to 14 million I do not agree with him, particularly in this market. What team is going to offer him more than the full mid-level as a restricted free agent? I really have no idea. And if you're going to offer the full mid-level, you're just not even going to do that anyway because Boston clearly would match that, both because he's a valuable player for next year. I mean, I do think he is the best defensive guard in basketball, but his offensive limitations are quite pronounced. So, you know, if it were another market, if this were 2016, yeah, I'd be talking about $16 million a year. But not now and so i'm not sure this goes i I would say that i don't think it'd be the absolute end of the world if he just takes the qualifying offer from boston's perspective just get him for another year there's no way that you can have both he and rosier on the team long term rosier's extension eligible we'll talk about him in a second so i let me ask you this now dan we've talked about this with a lot of these restricted free agents what is your offer at the start of restricted free agency to marcus smart if you're the boston Celtics? so with him i don't know that i would be as you know, I, I don't think getting a fifth year is super valuable with Marcus Smart. Oh, one funny thing about this that I, I found out when I was researching my piece, Marcus Smart and Terry Rozier are almost exactly the same age. I think they're two weeks apart, but because Smart came into the league a little bit earlier, he's one year earlier, he's, you know, hitting, hitting the market a year earlier. I would probably think about something more in the like three years 35 range would be where I would go and I know he wouldn't take that but I think that's where I would go and then just say hey if you want to if you want to beat this offer just do it yeah good luck to you yeah, I mean maybe you might go for a fourth year but yeah I mean I, I more than 11 million a year I don't think I would make that offer because a big part of getting him is he needs to be tradable on this contract like you can't have a contract that's not tradable like you, you want him to be a value and you know this is a team that's still probably realistically I think needs one more piece potentially uh you know they they would still you would want to have just one absolute superstar whether that's ad a year from now whether that's Kawhi, whether it's whoever the next trade target is so I, I think i would hold firm and then if he wants to take the qualifying offer you can take the qualifying offer what about rosier i i think i i've alluded to this i think his value is never going to be higher than it is right now he's making three million dollars a year or, or three million dollars this year i should say then will be a restricted free agent he had a pretty good playoffs although he fell off quite a bit in that cleveland series at times but i think they're probably if there is a team out there that values him as a potential future starter before he's going to get properly paid if you could get you know a decent first round pick for him right now i would be all over that 
and, and then that and that assumes that you can bring back smart too because you know Kyrie I doubt they're going to want to play him more than 30 minutes a game and so they'll need a quality backup point guard option but I I think keeping both smart and Rozier going into the year is not an optimal use of resources so I I would try to move Rozier now if you can't get much you can't get that type of an asset for him okay but when especially when you look at the fact that with their salary structure keeping him at you know starter level of money going forward especially when he's not gonna be a starter your starter is probably Kyrie Irving doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense sell high on him would be an optimal strategy if that offer is available I agree with you and on the basic premise for me is a little bit different for it I mean the value part is is certainly a consideration it is this if Kyrie for what presumably health reasons though I mean he will be an unrestricted free agent so he can go wherever the hell he wants if Kyrie were to leave or not be the player that he is would Terry Rozier be capable of stepping in and being the starter even if it's the fifth starter on a championship team and for me the answer to that is no. I think it's asking too much of in terms of shot creation from everybody else. They do have some players that are capable of that. And remember that Boston's window is a little bit weird here because they have players like Al Horford who are better now than they're going to be in a couple of years. And then they have players like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown who will be presumably better in three to four years. But that's why the question matters is because if, if Rozier can't shoulder that burden, even if they pay him backup money, it just gets really complicated for the Celtics. And he's not going to, you know, presumably he's not going to be on a real value contract. He's probably going to be properly paid or close to it. So if that's what you're looking at, trade him, see if somebody values him more highly than that. And if you do think that he can be that player, try to extend him because then you can lock that in and he can get a lot of risk mitigation out of it. Yeah, I think, he, you know, he's a good defender and he gets out in transition and, he, and he's really improved as far as making spot up shots so i think you could get enough with hayward brown tatum and then al horford obviously is a great playmaker also if for some reason Kyrie were to go down or have to be traded himself but that said i don't see him as like a premium talent and if there's a team out there that really values him that way now who might that team be you could say i I think he would be a pretty nice fit in indiana i think he would be a pretty good fit in phoenix you know you don't want him as the lead dog but kind of playing that George Hill sort of role isn't quite of the size of George Hill, but teams that have a guard who can do a lot of the creation, he could play off of that guy pretty well, I think. I don't think this would be the right move for them now because I think Utah needs more information, but the Jazz could be another option if they think he fits next to Donovan Mitchell. Be pretty interesting. Yeah, there are teams that could could use him now whether those teams have the ammo i mean phoenix certainly for example think of all the extra draft picks that they have and obviously ryan mcdonough has a connection with the celtics organization so they have a good relationship to make a trade work there so you could see with the those picks that phoenix has and there might be some celtics well and the and phoenix is arsenal of young guys but danny h could feel like they can get something out of bender or chris or any number of guys yeah. that, that maybe phoenix has i would yet. imagine they would prefer future draft picks because they just want to kick the can as far down the road as possible both in terms of having them as assets and assets that don't count anything against the cap i really think that they will see how much smart ends up getting but if they could just move rosier and just dump that three million as well and get a future draft pick that that would be useful just to, to avoid the tax this year i mean when you you're looking at a long period of contention and going into the tax ahead of you being able to get out of the tax this year is really helpful i think more likely than not they probably end up paying it because they'll want to use the mini mid-level as well but 
and I think a lot of Celtics fans say, you know, Rozier, he's so good, like just giving him up for just a, a mid first round pick, like, you know, the odds are with a mid first round pick, you don't draft someone as good as Terry Rozier. That's true. But you really have to think of Terry Rozier as Terry Rozier on a $17 million a year contract after next year. And now how much is he worth? You know, that that's how you have to kind of think about it. And those players tend to be kind of, all right, he's an okay starter, but he's not going to be a value on his contract. And those type of players get first round picks. Uh, maybe it could be a little bit more than that. Maybe it could be a young prospect as well, or you could throw some seconds in or whatever to, to equalize the value. But I think once it got, you know, I wouldn't do it for the number 25 overall pick or a pick that projected to be there, but you know, that's, uh, that's pretty much it. So real quickly, I know you got to go here. Anyone you'd be targeting with the mini mid-level exception if you're them? Well, I mean, the most obvious thing would be if Baines left, they would need a center. Yeah. Um, but I would say what they should try to look for at, for the taxpayer MLE would be floor spacing. I would be very interested in somebody. I mean, there are a couple different ways you could do that. So if you want to go more at the three, Joe Harris is a possibility there. I don't love that fit. I also thought about a Gerald Green return as a possibility. Just maybe Boston can get him in a place like Houston did, where it's a you know execute defensively, hit open shots. I also thought about going a little bit more to the four: Tolliver, Ilyasova, Mike Scott, and then if Brad Stevens is an actual coaching wizard. Omri Caspi for the minimum would be fascinating. Like this, like maybe he can do what Steve Kerr could not and actually get him to take threes because Caspi at the minimum would actually be a decent fit with their team. What you need with the the mini mid level to me is about what you perceive your team needs to be, and also are you trying to get out of the East or are you trying to win a championship? Because if you're trying to get out of the East, I think Wayne Ellington would be a guy who would really help them. Right uh, now, his market might actually be higher than the mini mid level, although if they went for more years, then that could change. But he's the guy, you know, they just need one absolute dead bang knockdown shooter. You know, they, they someone who can help them avoid those droughts like they had in game seven. Because they have a lot of like pretty good three-point shooters. But nobody is just like, oh my God, we just cannot leave this dude. You know, other than maybe Kyrie at this point. But can Wayne Ellington play that much in a series against the Warriors? And, eh, you know, maybe not. Uh, or against Houston if it's Houston or depending where LeBron ends up. But especially for the regular season and you know, against a team like the Sixers or something like that, I think someone someone who shoots the ball like him would be who you might want to go to. I mean, I don't think this is the one team that doesn't need kind of more three and D type of wing players. Um, you know, they could also maybe yeah, they don't have many needs other than that. Like one more versatile big would be nice too. We've said Noah Vonley a lot. He's a guy who I think would fit into kind of what they're trying to do maybe as well. Um, but yeah, all right. I think that's about it. anything else you want to say on these guys before we get going here. I just want to mention the assets that they have beyond their own picks moving forward just briefly. Yeah. They have the better of the Kings and Sixers pick unless it is number one next season. Memphis's first is protected one through eight in 2019, one through six in 2020, and unprotected in 21. And then they have the Clippers first, which is lottery protected in 2019 and 2020, and then would go into second rounders, I believe, if, if it doesn't go in. So those are really high-end assets beyond all these players they have that have been so successful. So if an opportunity presents itself, Boston just has, they have more assets than they know what to do with. And remember, they traded, uh, among other things, they traded the, what ended up becoming the eighth overall pick for Kyrie Irving. So it's it's incredible the asset base that Danny Ainge has built and we'll see how they use it. Yeah, and really, unless you can get a guy who's a top five superstar, especially with how expensive this team is going to be going forward, maybe you just hold on to all those picks and just use them to continue to infuse 
young talent, especially given how well Brad Stevens has been able to develop these guys and how well they've drafted. You know, those picks might be worth more to them than to anyone else. So thanks again for listening. Thanks again to Sonos for sponsoring today's program with the Sonos. You can control music with your voice. You can even have someone set up your Sonos speakers for free if you live in any major metropolitan area. Just order from Sonos.com, select up and running at checkout, and you may get 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any product on Sonos.com when you use the promo code DUNK10. That's D-U-N-C-1-0. Different code this time, DUNK10, D-U-N-C-1-0. Software available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions.